Okay, good job, guys. We got the anxiety peas out of the way now. <laughs> Should we clap again? I gotta finish my raisin net now. I wasn't counting on you guys to be that fast. Yeah. All right. That's it's an awful long time to eat one raisin net. <laughs> it was, no it was kidding. Big. Thank you for saying it, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. Man. Just chew a bit longer, Did don't I judge you, Hannah? either of you guys for clearly not washing your hands? No, I <laughs> My hands are still wet. Thank you very much. I win. Welcome aboard Stowaways to Seminary Stowaways, where we make the lively discussion of a seminary classroom accessible to everyone. I'm your host, Hannah Connor, and I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Luann Riley. Today, we're joined by the pod's first guest, Brian Darty. Brian earned his Master of Divinity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and met his wife, April, right there in the registration line. During a semester abroad in Israel, Brian fell in love with the Old Testament. After Israel, Brian spent four years working on a PhD in Old Testament at the University of Bristol under Gordon Wenham, but he put his education on hold when his third child was born. Brian loves James Taylor, Lord of the Rings, biblical studies, and spending time with his gorgeous family. Let me introduce my friend, Luann Riley. Luann grew up in Alabama but got to Texas with her husband Justin as fast as she could. She left her ladder climbing gig in corporate America for a full-time job in ministry seven years ago, and she's the former discipleship director of a large Houston area church. She's currently pursuing a Master of Arts in Theology while wrangling her twin boys. She has a passion for hoodie sweatshirts, non-dairy creamer, books that make her cry, and Alabama football. I want to introduce you to my friend Hannah. Hannah is currently a communications manager for an anti-child trafficking organization, and I happen to know she's a pretty fantastic wife and mom. Her family just moved back to the U.S. after doing missions in the U.K. for the past three years. She's an Enneagram 5, so naturally she loves detective stories and TV. She has a degree in creative writing and has worked in church ministry or parachurch ministry for the past eight years. We've asked Brian to join us today because, as you will soon hear him attest, he loves the Old Testament. And both Luann and I have a high regard for who he is as a believer, not just because he's a giant brain. Today, he's going to help prepare us to jump headfirst into all the Jewish and Old Testament history that Luann encountered this semester when she thought she was just going to be learning about worship practices. Hey, friend. Hey. What are we talking about today, Luann? So today we are continuing to talk about worship practices, but first we're kind of setting this up a little bit. We talked about critical thinking, and now we're going to talk about the place of the Old Testament or Jewish custom in following Jesus. Awesome. And what resources will we be working with today? I have to say I am most excited about this resource that I have today. I have it's the brought, best one yet. It's the best one yet. I brought a live, in-person, li- living, breathing resource named Brian. Oh. Brian, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Also, I'm just going to apologize in advance because you're our first guest, so this is all going to be real crazy. I'm, this is my first podcast, so that, I mean, we're all... <laughs> we're all new here. Yeah. Brian, tell us a little bit about... Well, this is deviating from the notes already. I was just going to ask you to tell me a little bit about your love for the Old Testament. Oh, sure. But- yeah. So, my second year of seminary... I took an introduction to Old Testament class, and um, 
didn't like it at all. And uh, then I went to Israel, and I spent a semester studying in Israel. And so as I was kind of visiting these places in Israel, at the same time I was beginning to piece together the narrative that unfolded in these places. And, um, and I fell in love with the Old Testament. And I, I fell in love with archaeology. I fell in love with historical geography. I fell in love with um, uh, just all areas of study and research. But, um, and so I applied for Old Testament PhD programs and surprisingly got into one. And I say surprisingly because even though my grades were good in seminary, um, um, there are obviously students in seminary who there's just no question what they want to do is go on and do doctoral research and they want to be a professor. That was never me. I always studied real hard, but I did not set myself up to be a PhD student. So I was surprised when I, when I was accepted um, and, um, and I, I ended up narrowing down my focus really to the Pentateuch, to narrative criticism, and even more specifically, Genesis one through three in Exodus nineteen. Now let me be clear. Dang, I didn't. That I did is not. Specific. I mean, I that's not, pretty specific. Well, you have to. Yeah, have you have to. I mean, I I've read theses that are three hundred pages on one word. You know, I don't want to mislead anybody. I did not finish. I'm not a doctor, so please don't. That's get how you me ended wrong. up on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you couldn't afford a real doctor. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So. I, don't, I definitely don't want to be to present myself as something I'm not. Um, that's all on hold. I do want to finish my thesis one day, um, but that's all on hold. So. Well, those are compelling reasons to listen to your perspective, your opinion. But the the big reason I feel like that Luann and I um, <laughs> wanted to talk with you about this is because both of us know you and you're not just someone who's like, keep it in the classroom, keep it in the textbook. You, there's such a proof of like the living word mm -hmm. in your life. So oh, anything wow. that you say, I hear it through. I mean, it's easy for me to discount some of the things that Luann hears in seminary. Cause I'm like, yeah, when did that person last talk to like a normal human <laughs> being? <laughs> but with right. you, that, that objection is removed. So Oh wow, that's not so just kind for of your credentials, that. but because we know, uh, we know you, and we know that the rubber meets the road all the time in in your life and in your faith. So, you know, one of the things that I that Luann and I talk about a lot is this idea of like how intimidating it is to engage with ideas about the Bible sometimes because we feel like we're not qualified, mm -hmm. and maybe people who aren't in ministry or certainly not in seminary can feel like oh, I don't have the necessary understanding or framework or credentials to try to think critically about this so they just sure, stay away sure and that was one of the big things i mean luann i can let you share but that you encountered in your professor in this class where it just seemed like a big takeaway was it's actually really tricky to to follow jesus this doesn't seem like something that just anybody could do it seems like it would take a it, someone like you brian to really even have a shot at it with all of your Old Testament knowledge. Well, I hope that's not the case because I can tell you the more you learn, the less you know. Mm -hmm. um, and you kind of emphasized this idea of um, can we please God without this 
sort of very deep or you know a certain measure of Old Testament knowledge. And I think I think it's important that we call attention to the actual question you're asking because it's a very specific question. Um, you're using precise language, in particular the phrase, in a person, please God without a certain level of Old Testament knowledge. And so um, the first thing my head does is go, okay, are there, are there texts that we can, we, can, we can go to that talk about pleasing God? James 127, uh, where James says, religion that is pure and undefiled um, before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Another place that I that comes to mind, or another text that comes to mind, is Psalm 50, 51, 16. It says, uh, God doesn't delight in sacrifice, but a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Um, and then, of course, Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment? And he responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. So certainly none of these, to me, hint that a very sophisticated knowledge of the Old Testament is necessary to please God. And also I think, um, I think my mind also immediately goes to those precious saints from my childhood, the folks that taught me Sunday school. So these are not Old Testament scholars, um, but I can only hope to be as faithful as they have been, and I can only hope that my faith is as pleasing to God as I imagine theirs is. So I think my answer, at least today, would be no, um, this deeper level of knowledge is not essential to please God. What if we were to reframe that question of, is it integral to please God to can you follow Jesus without understanding first fruits, all of these sort of verbiages and things that come out of the Old Testament? Like, is, is that integral to being able to follow Jesus as a believer? It's a good question. And again, you're asking a very specific question. Can you follow Jesus? And I would say, of course you can. Of course you can follow Jesus and be a faithful disciple. Um, I think the difference... Um, is that when you have an understanding of the Old Testament, you have a much better sense of what Jesus was up to and what his core message was. That doesn't mean it makes you a better disciple to have that, but it does bring more significance to your personal understanding of your faith. Um, this is this is how I think of it in my mind. Like, so if I'm going to introduce my kids to Star Wars, we're going to start with episode four, A New Hope, and the story of Luke Skywalker, mm -hmm. which is what they will either buy into or not be interested in. We're not going to go back and start with Jar Jar Binks mm -hmm. and episode one. Mm -hmm. If they're super into it, then we'll fill out the rest of that background and mm -hmm. history. But we start with the narrative that will grab them. That is like the super simplistic, probably inaccurate way in my mind that I think of jesus as like the anchoring point of faith and the yeah. old testament yeah i think that's a good analogy i i, I th what you're saying is can we just reverse the order um and i i don't see any problem with that uh but i would say that the stakes are a lot higher with For faith sure. than star wars if you're gonna say i'm a follower of jesus um that's gonna compel you most likely to want to fully understand what he was about and what he was up to. 
um, which will sort of push you into the Old Testament area. If I was wanting to tell someone about Jesus, I don't think I would leave with the Old Testament, even though I think the Old Testament is, I mean, critical to under to the fullest understanding of Jesus for sure. <clears throat> Let's say you're um, you're standing at the foot of a mountain, and it's early in the morning, and you're about to begin hiking that mountain. From your perspective, you can see the mountain, you can see how tall it is, you can see the trees. It makes sense. Um, it's you know you have a, a good handle on it, and and you don't necessarily have a wrong view of it, just because you don't have a close up view of it yet. Um, but as as you begin to climb the mountain, now you can begin to see. Oh man, here's some trees. You know, here's here's a stream, and now you're beginning to have a, a a deeper understanding of that mountain. And then, if you were someone who studied those things, and you were looking at those things under a microscope at the cellular level, you would even have a deeper understanding. That doesn't mean your understanding of the mountain is wrong. Um, before you started, it's just that there are there is more available to you. I think that's a great analogy. I think that's really that's really helpful. Um, What's really interesting is, as Luann and I have been talking about this class, this book has sort of come onto the scene by Andy Stanley called Irresistible. And in it, he he doesn't say that we don't need the Old Testament, but he he says that what Jesus came to do was to fulfill the Old Covenant, which means that the New Testament is what Christians should be concerned with. The Old Testament is sort of obsolete because it's been fulfilled. He feels that um, Christian culture... And a lot of church leadership has combined Jesus' message in the New Testament with Old Testament covenant requirements. And he feels like that is a distortion of Jesus' message. That things that were required of the Israelites under the law are still being added to to the Christian faith like today, a mix, that mix we and match be theology, pick and choose. That's right. Ten mm-hmm. Commandments or Sermon on the Mount. Like we we want to go back to the Ten of Commandments, but we don't want to lean into what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Like sort of this That's old right. this blending of the old and new that what he sees churches doing is sort of picking these things from the Old Testament that they want to like put their stake in the ground and ignoring some things from the New Testament and just making like a mix match version. That's right. And he talked about how um, there are places specifically in the New Testament that outlines why that undermines grace, why that undermines everything that Jesus came to do, bringing the old covenant back. And one of the things that I've been wondering is like, well, is that is that true? Because from what he says, I can look at my experience and I'm like, I see that the churches I've attended to a certain extent, it feels like we do pull elements of the the covenant that was supposed to have been fulfilled back and we want to impose that on people again. Why do we do that? Yeah, sure. So that's interesting. So I've not actually read Andy Stanley's book, Irresistible. Um, So I'm a little bit hesitant to speak directly to it, if that's okay, but maybe Mm -hmm. I can talk about why or the, the, the angle from which I think the old covenant is important 
Good. Not as a direct, yeah. not as a direct response to Stanley, yeah. but sure. just, but yeah. just, what role does it play in our faith as Christians? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of how, and, and, and how does it help us understand Jesus? So, <clears throat> in the book of Mark, the very first thing Jesus does when he arrives in Galilee at the very beginning of his ministry is announce the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Matthew summarizes the ministry of Jesus in chapter 4, he says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues and telling everyone the good news of the kingdom. Matthew and Mark are not saying Jesus repeated these precise words over and over in synagogues and around Galilee. They're saying this is the essence of his message. Everywhere he went, he was talking about the kingdom of God. They're saying if you boil down the teaching of Jesus, it all centers on the kingdom of God. This is not something they, that he mentions once or twice. It is the central message. Uh, to the surprise of many, the central message is not, I've come to die as a sacrifice for your sins, mm -hmm. but rather the kingdom of God has arrived. My point here is that the announcement of the kingdom is an announcement with a story attached to it. The Old Testament story, the story of, of the people of Israel. Or rather, it's a statement that only makes sense in the context of a larger narrative. This is why the Gospel of Matthew begins with a genealogy. That genealogy is essentially a retelling of the story of Israel. First century Jews very much thought of themselves as living within a great divine drama in a way that is very hard for us as Americans to understand. A drama that began with Abraham, continued through Moses, the monarchy, and the exile. A drama they were waiting on God to finish writing. It's in this context that Jesus shows up as the climax to that story and says the kingdom of God has arrived. So to understand what Jesus is up to, to understand his central message, we have to understand the Old Testament story. And if we overlook it, if we, over, if we, if we miss the central message of Jesus, we'll likely end up creating versions of Jesus that are our very own, or the proverbial creating God in our own, our own image. You can get the idea maybe that his central claim was to teach us how to live, or to tell us how to get to heaven. Um, and while these may be present to one degree or another, to small degrees in the Gospels, in the teaching of Jesus, they don't sum up his message. His central message was the good news that God has become king. And so if we don't get Jesus right, what are we doing when we, when we tell others about him? So <clears throat> we tend to focus on the beginning of the Gospels, the virgin birth, and the end of the Gospels, the death and resurrection. Um, if you've ever worked on a church staff, you know the paraphrase, uh, Christers. It's a term that describes Christians who only go to church on Christmas and Easter. Well, while we may, be Christ while we may not be Christ Christ Christmas and Easter Christians in our worship habits, we often are in our theology. We tend to focus on the incarnation and the atonement. To our detriment, we've neglected everything in between the part where we discover what Jesus was talking about, what he was up to. And the Jesus we discover there is much different, but much more fascinating with a much more powerful message than we ever imagined. And I've, as I've already said, to understand that message, we have to understand the Old Testament. That's good. Yeah. That's my answer. Yeah. That's, that's helpful, <laughs> that is Brian. Really good. Very helpful. Good. I'm glad. When you talk about how we focus on Christmas, Easter, and similarly those places in our 
Bible as well, but we overlook the middle, which is Jesus' message, what he chose to, to say and teach. If we focused more on that, wouldn't would that not illuminate his meaning? It still wouldn't be clear. Even if we didn't just focus on the ends, if we focused on what he said and what he taught. I think it would be more clear than if you didn't focus on it. I don't think it would be as clear as if you did begin to dig into the Old Testament. Forgive me for the cliche analogy, but it's like turning on Lord of the Rings right as Frodo throws the ring in the fire. You understand something important is happening, but it's so much more meaningful if you know the journey thus far. If you know that what's ultimately at stake is recreation. If you know the people of Israel, the people through whom God is going to recreate the world. If you know what's at stake when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And you can only know that to the fullest extent um, if you if you have some grasp of 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 the of the larger the larger narrative the, the story the story of the people of yeah. Israel. Mm-hmm. I think one of the ways that I've always thought about it is just seeing the way that Jesus talked to people around him and the sort of people that he went to, and the things that he would say after he had an encounter with them with things like "Go and sin no more" or "Don't tell anyone what's happened." They weren't lectures about you know, studying or learning up or making sure that they've got all their ducks in a row. So I've felt like the way that Jesus approached people and who he was to them was always within grasp. Oh, sure. But see, but see, those are people living in first century Judaism that have, that are living in that divine drama. Everything Jesus is doing as he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, the way he's treating them is painting a kingdom picture. They know the Old Testament story. They don't have to relearn it. They're living it. They see themselves as actors in the story, right? So Jesus, when he treats— But surely not all of them, because there were Romans, there were Samaritans. I mean, right? I mean, the the core of Jesus' ministry is in rural Galilee. Uh So you're you're talking about mostly rural Jews, right? He's Mm -hmm. he's not going to Greek and Roman cities. Um, He's not going to Sepphoris, you know, these big— um, um, metropolises that that are that were Roman culture, Greco-Roman culture is is very prevalent. Um, but when he treats people the way he does, that is him fundamentally redefining the kingdom because he's saying, under my rule, it's a rule of peace and forgiveness and love and justice and mercy. So even that, even the way he deals with people is a king, he's painting a kingdom picture for people who already have that narrative in mind. My question from there, Brian, would be that like, I get that in the grander scheme of things, the things that Jesus did and said were in context and a specific context. But I would also, I mean, I don't know. I, I would just wonder, did everybody have that context? Did, were women privy to that same kind of knowledge as, as men? Well, I mean, I guess I, look, my area of expertise is not the New Testament, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think so, or at least I think it's safe to say Jesus assumed they did, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. he didn't show up and explain the significance of the kingdom. He showed up and said, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. But in general, people missed what that meant. 
Well, not everybody. Um, I think a lot I mean, of people not miss everybody, it. Yeah. But, yeah, no, but yeah. I do. I think, yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people and miss it. Much, sure. in the same, much in the same way that we miss it today. I mean, honestly, yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That yeah. We, yeah. That we don't understand but, that yeah. way as well. And I think that somehow, in a lot of ways, plays into this idea of Old Testament, New Testament, and mixing it. Is it important? Is it not important? Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it Sermon on the Mount? Is it the God that we see all these rules that are put down in Leviticus, like all of these, do we follow that? Do we have to sit Shabbat or whatever for Sabbath to be, you know, this sort of like idea of like how much of this do we actually have to know and carry out to develop this idea of us following Jesus and being part of his kingdom here? Like is how much do I actually need to know? And how much because do I actually need to teach the people right. who are underneath me? And yeah. one of the big questions that that brings to me is like, can I, can I do this? Can I be part of this Christian life? Because as I've grown in my faith, I've felt like there were a lot of things that are not within my reach. I, I would love to go to seminar. I would love to do a lot of things that I can't do right now for a lot of reasons. And yeah. I've always drawn comfort from the fact that I felt like I saw Jesus go to really normal, normal people. Granted, yeah. they're not Americans, you know, yeah. like they're not me, but they yeah. were the kind of people where he put himself within their reach and would spoke to them in stories. And he made himself so available to just like Joe Schmo, who was nobody. And yeah. that gave me hope that yeah. he, that I could reach out and he would be there yeah and and so i I certainly do not want to communicate that faith is not within reach for folks who don't have the resources or the time or even you know the intellectual ability to to understand these hard things i'm not saying that at all i'm saying your view of the mountain is not necessarily wrong from you know the foot of the mountain as you're staring up but you will have a better sense of the mountain and that doesn't make you a better worshiper that doesn't make you more faithful that does not mean you're you, you're pleasing god more all that means is you have a better sense of what jesus was up to and so be i want to press into that because i if i'm if i'm going to say i'm going to follow jesus then I, I want to know what he said, what I'm following. You know, I want to understand his core yeah. message. Now, Leanne, to your question, um, do I need to teach this? Obviously, you're, you're, you're obviously capable of teaching this. You're a very capable teacher. Um, um, I can't answer that question, but I'll, I'll say this. When I dream about planting a church, I dream about filling in those gaps. I dream about filling in those gaps that the church has overlooked because I think it makes a much more interesting, fascinating Jesus um, that to me is much more exciting than merely the guy who, who died for my sins. Not to minimize that because that's part of the gospel. That's part of mm-hmm. building the kingdom. Um, that's a, it's, a, it's a critical part. But the atonement comes in the context of the kingdom message and what God is doing as he's establishing his rule. It's a subset of it. 
it's not primary. Yeah, I think that's really helpful, Brian. And I think this conversation is helpful to frame as I move forward in seminary, as I encounter professors who would stand in the camp that would be fully opposite of Stanley in that, you know, his belief that like following Jesus in and also as as he would say, just fully leaning into the Jewish our Jewish heritage by, you know, embracing these customs that we see in the Old Testament and you know, participating in feasts and things that like help us point to our Jewish roots. I think it helps to kind of have a navigating point in the middle where it says like, I think the way you framed it with the mountain as well, but also saying like, it's yeah. not primary, but it is a, ne- it, it is a secondary that can help you understand the fullness of the story and even come to know Jesus and appreciate him even more um, by understanding and learning these things about your about your faith. And so I know that this is a huge debate within Christianity where the Old Testament plays and the Old Covenants and how those fit together. And certainly we're not going to solve it on this podcast because it's the debate of the ages. Yeah. But as we lean into these worship practices, as we go forward kind of in this podcast series, I think it's helpful to kind of keep that lens of like, the whole primary and the filling in. And if you practice this one custom and you find that it does give you a fuller picture of Jesus, then lean into it, but don't feel that it's necessary, absolute to following Jesus, that you have to also Mm -hmm. embrace Jewish custom. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think just to be clear, when we use the word Israelite, we're referring to people before the exile, when we use the word Jews, we're referring to people after the exile. So a lot of what you're pointing to, for example, Passover. I've never heard that before. Me, an, ever, an, never. Here I am never. in seminary. I've never heard that clarification. Oh, that's ever. okay. There's, 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 no, there's definitely no shame. Say it again. That, Tell us sure. again. When we use the term Israelite, we're referring to people before the exile. When we use the word, word Jew, we're referring to people after the exile. So Jewish culture, um, well, primarily what comes to mind when you say Jewish culture is like second, te- second temple Judaism, first, in, you know, um, or first century Judaism. Um, uh, when you say Israelite, now I'm thinking an ancient Near Eastern context. I'm thinking to me mean all manner of things in, 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 a, in an Old Testament research context. And what you do, and what I think you're referring to is things like festivals or Passover or these major pieces of Israelite religion. I, it's not that you can't appreciate communion if you don't have an understanding of Passover or understanding of Jesus as, as initiating a, a new exodus. Um, it's just that Passover has a, another level of meaning. I'm sorry, communion has another level of meaning if you do understand that piece of it. You know, Jesus' way of of being king here and now um, in a world that looks nothing like the the peace and the love and the justice that he came um, and talked about and showed us his way of being king is is through us. Uh, and that's a powerful message um, because that means... Brian, that's all been so very helpful, I'm telling you. It's good Good, stuff. thank you. My, my understanding of the Old Testament story is largely shaped by my own research and, and, and 
dozens, if not hundreds of sources. But I'm not a New Testament person. And so my understanding of of the New Testament around the kingdom of God is largely shaped by N.T. Wright. And Mm -hmm. I want to give credit where credit is due because I don't want to pretend as if some of the ideas that I talked about today are my own. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think you can go to seminary and not talk about N.T. Wright's work. Uh, I've read so much, and I'm only on my third class. He's on another planet, man. I just love him so much. So, yeah, he's out of this world. Brian, thanks so much for being here. I appreciated that perspective. So helpful. And a great orientation as we're about to jump into some of these very issues in the upcoming episodes. Luann, do you have a scripture for us today? Our scriptural truth today comes from Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14 when Jesus begins his ministry. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they all spoke well of him and marveled at the words that were coming from his mouth. Well, that's it for today. We hope that you've been encouraged, maybe even amused. If you have, we'd love it if you'd leave a raving review for us on iTunes. You can also join us on Instagram at Seminary Stowaways. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, the opinions expressed on this episode belong solely to Hannah or Luann and do not represent the organizations, institutions, churches, or Starbucks baristas in their lives. Till next time, friends. Thanks for listening.